Welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show, where we discuss commercial real estate. This is your host, Ishai Breslauer. Here we meet every Monday to talk commercial real estate and prop tech. We will dive deep into the different asset classes, discuss the market, talk about the new and exciting technologies, meet key people in the industry, and get some inspiration. Let's begin. Hey guys, before we start, I just want to point out the six best secrets for commercial real estate. It's a free download. Go to the text side and you will find it. It has absolutely great information, completely free, how to become a landlord, how to determine the value of a property, or creative financing for commercial real estate. All of it is completely free. Go download it. Also, I want to point out my CRE crash course. It's a two-week must-have program with a must-have skills for commercial real estate, like investment strategies, the must-have financial terms, how a deal is done. Go take a look at it, go to the text side, and click on the link. And now, let's continue with our program. Hey guys, how are you? This is Ishai Breslover, your host of the CRE Shark Eye Show. I hope you guys are doing fantastic. Today, we have a unique situation a unique situation, I say, because every time I have a woman in commercial real estate, I get excited because it's, 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 something, it's something unique, something unique. We have today with us Esther Reisens-Lowenbein, and I'm very, very excited for this today. Uh, I'll call you Esther during the, the Zoom, if that's okay, to make it more personal yes. for everybody, so everybody can reach you and make deals with you. And thank you for being with us on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Sure. You know what? Before we dig into your story, which I'm assuming is extremely exciting, um, tell us just, you know, in brief, like a two-minute elevator pitch, what do you do? In short, I'm a real commercial realtor, investor, and capital raiser. In short. Okay. Now that was the, short, <laughs> the shortest two-minute <laughs> elevator pitch I've ever had in my show. I always do that. But uh, you know what? Uh, I'll expand. For everybody who's listening, just pace yourself. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming. So just, that was very short, but we'll hear a lot. You know, just, you know, as I said, a woman getting into commercial real estate, we have, thank God, we have women in commercial real estate, but you're in a preservant Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox uh, woman. And that is definitely unique to being commercial real estate. It's, it's a men's world without a doubt. Uh, but, and we obviously love to have women in the, in the industry and everybody's listening understands that. But the question is what got you into it in the first place? Uh, that's a great question. So I am a speech language pathologist. I have my master's degree. I was practicing speech therapy for 10 plus years. Um, and then I moved from Brooklyn, New York to Rockland County, New York about four and a half years ago. Um, due to just the, um, the work change, you know, I was working over there in one school in one location. When I got to Rockland County, the system was a little different uh, where I had to have to travel from location to location. So I was like, just it, it became too much to work in this area. Also, I have several children and I was working with children. It became very tiresome to work with children and then come home to children. I needed a change. Um, there were many, many more reasons as well, but those were like two main ones that I decided just to go into uh, real estate. I also wanted to learn more and just gain more worldly knowledge. Um, I just wanted to get out there and you know, see what's going on. 
And I also tried to see which job I can do that I would love that I wouldn't have to go back to school for because I spent six and a half years in college and I, I was ready to do that, but I preferred not to. Um, and I figured commercial real estate seemed perfect for me. I'm an extrovert. I felt at home in this space and I, here I landed somehow and I'm loving it. Thank God. But you know what? The question even increases when I come and ask, um, you know, a lot of people, especially ladies, they're going into the residential space of real estate and going to commercial seem to be a little bit intimidating. You have to know your numbers a lot more. You have to be a lot yeah. more analytic and it doesn't seem, and, and I can relate because I came from education, Jewish education. That's what I did for many, many years. And then I shifted careers and became a commercial real estate person for many, many years. But the self-education that is required is tremendous. So I'm asking yes. you from a speech, speech pathology place to come to commercial real estate, you have to know a lot more. Yes, great I always tell you. Yeah. It's great that you're a people person, but you have yeah. to know numbers. So it's true. About that. It's 100% true. I always tell people like one of the biggest challenges getting in is that you're expected to know everything right away. Um, because you're dealing with professional people, you're dealing 100%. With, with people that know their numbers, you can't, you can't, it's not like a re residential real estate that you can fake it until you make it here. You have to know your stuff. Um, you have to, you know, you have to know your numbers. You have to know the terms. I once I committed to learning, I started getting involved, listening to every single podcast I can. I started reading every book, started attending every single class I can. I just wanted to know it all. And I still do. I still continue learning. There's so much to know Always. Um, in the space. You know, there's so many assets and different types of ways you can profit from real estate, different types of ways you can get involved. Um, and I just wanted to know it all. So I just committed to learning. And um, now I'm on the teaching side. So I'm excited to teach. I love teaching people. Uh, so, you know, I, I like to teach, first of all, what I know. Um, but now it's, it's amazing that once I committed to learning it, um, you know, that's when growth started happening and I started understanding it all. And um, yeah, so now, now I'm happy to pass it on to the next person. So tell me something. How many years are you in this? I'm in real estate for four years. I actually started on the residential side. I started as a residential broker. Um, I always knew that I wanted to go to commercial, but the broker told me that I need to start residential. And even back then, I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. But I didn't mind doing it. I wanted to. You know, it was also easier in a way because I was working locally, um, although the hours were crazy, like Sundays, you know, all day. And um, I started on the residential side, but, you know, being a marriage counselor and a psychologist wasn't for me. So I um, quickly shifted to the commercial space and here's where I stay. Sounds good to me. And, and we, we share that, by the way, because uh, for a while I was also... Um, uh, selling meaning I wasn't a residential broker, but I was a head of marketing and sales for a development company that does mega condo developments. Mm -hmm. And I had to eventually deal with the clients. And in the end of the day, these are couples, these are families, these are, uh, and, and people laughed at me when I said, I feel a lot more comfortable in the board meeting with attorneys and landlords. And I, I don't know why, but I felt a lot more comfortable with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the, you know, I want the jacuzzi more to the left or I want this more to the right. That was not for me. And it's yeah. like amazing at that. I right. was okay with that, but I was not enjoying my job. 
and, exactly. and all of a sudden the commercial space. So I can really relate to what you say. Yeah. Uh, to what you said. It was, it's I always really, say like uh, residential is more emotionally based. Like you said, you know, do I like right. the tiles? Do I like the, I love the tree there? outside. Yeah. It's very emotionally based. So it can be like, you know, and the couples have to get along versus commercial real estate. Do I like the asset? Do I like the location? Do the numbers make sense? Is this a good investment for me? Period. You know, obviously, there's a lot of work to it, but it's it's more factually based than than um, emotionally based. I love what you just said. Tell me something. You just mentioned that your learning process uh, was more books and classes and stuff like that. And I want to get into your teaching of just a little bit more, and maybe we'll do it a little later. But yeah. um, um, what type of books you read, if you could recommend, of let's say one or two for the people who are listening? I read a lot of online stuff, um, you know, articles and. Um, I'm reading a lot of books now about funds because that, that was my main, because I started a private equity fund. I can get into that um, soon. I started a private equity fund. So I wanted to make sure that I'm doing it all hundred percent legally. So I started just studying all that really, really well. Um, I think by now I know more than many attorneys know um, at this point. Yeah. So that was my focus. Like once I got into that, so whatever my focus was at the time, that's what I would read right now. My focus is, funds and raising equity so that's what i'm reading and that's what i'm studying and tons of articles online there's there's so much there's so much one can read there's so many resources that's right there's there's gary keller's book and um you know there's so many business books that we have just lying around the house not necessarily real estate related but also like mindset related and how to deal with people at work how to communicate with people um, which actually my my degree is in communication as well so that also you know helped me um, getting into the fields. For sure, 100%. Um, tell me something. So today you have this shop that you have and you're dealing with raising equity, investing, et cetera. And we'll get to the investing in a uh, in few minutes. But right now I want to focus on the type of work that you do. Who are, who are you approaching? You, you're contacting sponsors, contacting more funds or private investors. Let us, uh, what, what is your work about? Okay, on the equity side, uh, I'm connecting my main, what I do mostly is connect co-GPs and JVs. That's my specialty. I connect partners together. They come into a deal both as active partners. So they both have a say in the deal. They're both equal decision makers on the deal. So I find a sponsor. Or just, I mean, I don't really even have to find people. People are coming to me. So I don't really have to go out there. Look, I have so many people coming to me. Um, they need equity for their deal. And oftentimes I ask them, are, are you willing to bring in a co-GP JV uh, partner or do you want limited partners only? That's my first question I'll ask them. Um, I prefer co-GP JV structure. It's just, I often find that it's easier to find someone that's going to write a $10 million check and join the deal than it is to find a five, a $50,000, someone that's going to write a $50,000 check as a limited partner. Um, and there are many reasons for that. But that's my specialty, connecting co-GPs and JV. So the sponsors come to me, they're looking for equity. And then I go out and I try to find the equity, whether it's um, right now, right now I'm dealing from 470,000 equity checks to 40 million. So I'm dealing with private people, family offices, institutional uh, money as well. And it's growing by the day. So all of them. Very exciting. And, and most people would tell you, I want an LP. I don't want a JV. I don't want another person coming with me into the deal. So that's a great question that you're asking. Are you willing to have a partner in the deal? Um, but what got you, because 
meaning the, I would say the perfect match, theoretically, of course, um, on paper, the perfect match would be GP with an LP and not with a GP and a co-GP. Yeah. Everybody wants to be a co-GP. So how come right. you've chosen that path to go for GP, co-GP, JV? Well, I do both, actually. I have a fund that I raise from LPs as well, so I do both. Um, I just find that, that the people that are coming in as a co-GP and putting in that large equity check, they often have a better understanding of the business. So these are people that are experienced real estate professionals. They know the business really well. So they're coming in with that check. They're doing their own due diligence. They're going to study the deal really, really well. They know the market. They know the business. It's not like me having to teach them, you know, hey, real estate's a great um, investment. I recommend you put some money in here. You know, my minimum is 50000 Co-GPs generally have a better understanding of the business. Oftentimes, they're also key principals. They're KPs. Sometimes they, they come in and help with asset management. They oftentimes have more roles besides they're just coming in with the equity. And you know it better because securities-wise, it's always have it's always better to have a co-GP than an LP because an LP has to have some kind of a role within the management of the deal. You can't only be unless you are obviously security-wise, you are a fund and you are or you have some kind of a permit to do that, and that's uh, and 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 that is complicated, I'm sure. But the one thing I want to ask you is that when it comes to those right LP, I would say that end user, the end mm-hmm. investor, the LP that you mean that would give you $150,000 or $50,000 or $200,000, that doesn't matter. Those people sometimes don't know much real estate and they didn't have to understand the deal. The professionals, right. they don't have time for it. You have to explain to them and you said you don't, you, you don't really, meaning you prefer having a person who just understands everything. Well, I like, I like it both. I really like both. I do like teaching. I, I am uh, coming from the education background. So that's right. the reason I started the private equity fund because I love teaching. I'm passionate about teaching and I'm passionate about commercial real estate. So I started the private equity fund to enable people to learn about investing in real estate and the benefits that real estate has to offer. Um, and therefore, I started the fund to enable more people to invest that way. So I really enjoy both ways. It's just two right. different ways of going about it. So, so here's meaning I, I was meant meaning I want to ask you about your private equity fund and we'll get to that. Okay. But what I want to ask you is, um, isn't it easier to get an LP fund that understands meaning you have syndicators and private equity funds where their LPs maybe needs to be educated and explained. So like you, like probably what you do, but mm-hmm. uh, whoever has the private equity fund usually understands very, very well the numbers and they understands very, very, very well how real estate works, and you don't really have to explain to them. So how do you feel about, let's say, connecting a private equity LP to the GP? Is that more complicated, you feel? Is that is What do you feel about that? I'm not sure I understand your question fully. Um, are you trying because to say... I, I, let, yeah. let, me, let me be more clear. Maybe that would okay. help. You said that you like to put, and, and that gets me excited because that's unique. I mean, most people don't do that, and that's makes you unique, I, I guess, to put a GP with a GP, general partner, a sponsor with a sponsor, uh, the, the guy who writes the deal with another guy who writes the deal. For those who don't really understand what those mean, meaning obviously many of our, uh, of our listeners are real estate, savvy real estate people, but some yeah. of them are beginners. So GP and GP are basically both running deals. They're not passive investors. These are people right. who want to be part of the deal, running the deal, making the calls, et cetera. Right. 
And that's what SD does. She gets them together. Now, you have the LP investors, as we said, those investors that want to be more passive. At the same time, you have the private equity funds. The people who go to those passive investors and they gather the 50,000 here, the 100,000 here, then they come with a $3 million packet with all those investors. And then you come to that fund and you tell them, I have a GP who is putting $300,000 on a deal and he wants a $3 million in the deal or whatever, or $2 million in the deal. And he wants a partner, an LP partner, but it's a fund. It's a a syndication and they want to be in the deal. So now I explained it in a way that everybody hopefully can understand. So, um, so I'm asking you now is the question is for you is, is it more comfortable to go to, like you said, JV structure, joint venture where the GP, the two people who write the deal, Hey, do you want to join another guy? Like you said, or is it better to come to a private equity fund where you can still run the deal? You have a fund where they're professionals, they know what they're doing, they already raising capital or raise the capital, whatever it is, whatever the structure is that they have, and put them together with that general partner, with that guy who has the deal. I don't think one's better than the other. I just think that often um, there are often sponsors that really know what they want. So sometimes the sponsor will say, I want full control of the deal. I, I don't want to share my control, my active partnership with anybody else. So in that case, we can only bring on limited partners. Um, but if someone is like, sometimes they'll say, okay, just bring me the money. However, it uh, doesn't matter. I just, I'm desperate for the money. So, you know, then they're open to either option. So it really depends on what the sponsor wants. I start my private equity fund is, it's a Delaware series LLC where I have several SPVs. I raise uh, on a deal by deal basis. So I don't have money just laying around in the fund. I have first a deal that a sponsor comes to me and says, hey, you know, uh, I'm looking for money on this deal. I'm looking for equity. Can you help me? And um, I present the deal to my investors and then I go out and raise. So I'm not doing a blind pool fund. Everything's super transparent. Everything can be seen. It's just in like in an SPV, which I can put eventually into as as um, I could put into the deal as an entity. Right. So I want to ask you about that. I want to get now to your private equity, what you have built. Okay. So you're going out and raising capital from other people in order to get into a deal. So first of all, what type of deals you go after? So it's commercial real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I raise for all commercial real estate. It has to be, I'm not raising for tech. I'm not raising for startups, commercial real estate. I am across all assets. Um, I go about it very differently. If I'm raising from limited partners or general partners, if I raise from limited partners, I vet the sponsors, I vet the deal. I do a lot of research. I underwrite the deal. I want to check the track, the sponsor's track record, see what they've done. I'd like to see which investors investors invested with them in the past. I do a lot of homework before um, I'm, I start raising for a specific deal. So it's not like anyone that just comes to me, you know, oh, I'm say, I'm going to say, hey, Sure, I'm going to bring you money. I, I, it has to be someone that's experienced and has the track record and has a solid deal with solid returns to the investors. And I always tell my investors that I have to like that deal so much that I put my own money into every single deal that I raise for as a limited partner to show my investors that it's a solid deal. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's my name on the line. I am the 
GP of the fund and I have to bring them a solid investment um, for them to place their money. I, I don't play games. Like it has to be a really good deal. Sounds amazing. Let me ask you a question. That's like the, the trap question that every sponsor asks everyone who comes with a private equity uh, or a syndication. I have a deal. I have a deal. I need capital. I need X amount of money. I don't know what the check size that you brought, you tell us probably. Um, I have a deal. Are you comfortable with this check size? Do you like the deal? Blah, blah, blah. Let's say you underwrote deal, you like the deal, want to get into the deal. The guy says, I need the money within X amount of time, which also probably tell us what you're comfortable with and whatnot. Right. And, but as a sponsor, people are usually very, very nervous with people who go and need to raise capital now for X amount of time. Right. So where do you actually sign the agreement? Yeah. Okay. Where do you sign the operating agreement? Yeah. When, which point of time? And when do you commit to it? And what is your, meaning, I would say stress, meaning uh, from it, and how do you get it done? Yeah. An interesting question. That's a very good question because that's my biggest challenge, Um, time. Because I'm doing a deal-by-deal situation, I have to wait for the sponsor to be under contract um, with the deal to know that it's a solid opportunity, that they're not just, uh, they didn't just put in the LOI. We need to know that they're going ahead with the deal. I'm not going to waste my time if the sponsor doesn't have the actual deal. But then I have a limited amount of time to go out and raise. It's a good, that's my challenge. So I also have to wait for my attorney to draft, you know, once I, sorry, once I underwrite the deal and do my, my research, then I say, okay, here, I go to my attorney and I say, I say, my attorney has to create the SPV and, you know, just uh, work on the docs and all that. And then I have to set it up on my portal, which I uh, have a portal that all the investors can see all the information. So time is against me, but my goal is to be like, have so many contacts and so many people that are willing to invest that I would hopefully fill, um, you know, the equity in, in a day. That's my goal. That's a great goal. I love that. What check sizes usually you bring into the picture? So from limited partners, it's 50,000 and up. So you have anyone that writes 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 from co-GP JV structures. It's I'm working right now on, on deals that need 470,000 to 40 million check equity checks. Right. So, um, yeah. So it depends all how it's them. done. All of them. All, all of them. Sounds yes. good. Sounds very exciting and sounds good. Um, you're all over the place. What is your favorite type of deal? What would you call it? Meaning the thing that gets you most excited to go raise capital for or to get into? Uh, it's interesting because I don't, really, I don't really have a favorite deal. I see it all. For me, the check size doesn't matter. I love what I do. So for me, I see it as connecting, whether I'm connecting a $40 million surgical center check to or a five-unit $470,000 check. Right. I, I, just, I just love what I do and see it as connecting. I don't necessarily see it as, um, an asset or or a check size. It's just getting right. the deal done. And yes, I don't really have a specific thing, but right now we're seeing a lot of ground up. So I'm working on that a lot lately. Oh, so that's pretty interesting. Okay. So we'll talk about that ground up. I like that. But once I, what I meant to ask mostly is when you get into deal yourself as a, you oh, as, as an investor, private equity, 
as a, as a syndicator, you come in and you put your money and you put other people's money in a deal. What is your favorite type? Of okay. As an, invest, as an yeah, investor. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure you have okay. a favorite. Um, so it's interesting. I don't race for myself at the moment. We have an equity partner. So we don't, I'm not raising for myself. I'm raising for others at this moment. Who knows what's going to be? We'll see in the future. But we're looking for industrial number one. That's the hottest asset right now. So yes, that's our favorite. Um, hard to find good deals, but we're looking, looking. And we're also purchasing triple net retail and office space. But industrial is definitely the most wanted. Okay. So that, that's, a, that's an interesting conversation. Um, tell me something. You see a lot of things in the market today. You see a lot of things that are happening. Market is pretty crazy. A lot of people are talking about it. Where are we today and where are we going? And nobody knows. I mean, crystal right. ball is not a part of what we do. Yeah. We live in what we live the moment and we try to be as accurate as we can. Yeah. So here's the question. You just spoke about different type of asset classes, but right beforehand, you said something about ground up development. What do you feel about ground up development nowadays with the environment today? It's interesting. There's, it's, I, I have a lot of requests for ground up development and I'm seeing a lot of interest in, in uh, people that are willing to put money in. Um, it's, maybe it's, you know, there is a shortage of housing in, in the U.S. So I, there may be a great, great need for it. Um, in terms of, it's hard for me to know because the costs of building are going up. So it's hard to know exactly how that's going to play out. But right now I'm seeing a very, very high demand for that. Um, I have deals going up in Florida, Texas, Baltimore, New York, um, Arizona. So I'm seeing a great, a great need for it. Beautiful. Um, we spoke about three asset classes, right? Office, industrial, triple net. Yeah. Um, so industrial is pretty hot. Let's talk about that just for a little bit. Um, why, why are you so excited about industrial nowadays and how, meaning when you see an industrial deal in the underwriting, yeah, what are you looking for usually? So industrial became very hot because, you know, retail was going down sort of before COVID even, but I think COVID just accelerated that made things happen much faster. You know, everyone was home and they're ordering things online the whole time, not going to the stores as much. So mm-hmm. we see that retail went down. On this, uh, because retail is going down, people need you know factories, Amazon, all these things. They need um, warehouses to store their stuff in order to ship them out. So we're seeing a great need for warehouses going um, you know all over the country, and also people were moving during COVID, so their businesses were moving. So suddenly they needed you know more warehouses around where they are, and even as a realtor, the biggest request I get every single day is. Um, find me a warehouse. I need a warehouse. And a lot of people are in the city. So the biggest request is around the cities. I need a warehouse near the city. I'm like, uh, don't we, everyone join the, join the million people that are looking for warehouses near cities. It's very, very hard to find warehouses right now. Um, it definitely became the top asset um, that's, you know, that's wanted right now. You know something? Um, today, triple net, moving to triple net now, um, is in a very interesting state because it's a part of retail, obviously. Yeah. And you have different types of approaches about triple net. Usually triple net in the past seemed to be the best place to park your money because yeah. of the safety aspect of it. 
that everything is paid for, you get a paycheck and you're done, especially for investors who don't know any real estate. I don't have to worry and don't have to think about it. Right. it. It's there. I'm getting the money. Great. But today things are different. We started talking about retail now and how yeah. retail changes and people talking now about pharmacies that maybe they will change and Amazon is starting to take yeah. share in that and other e-commerce, obviously uh, big ones are going to start to, you know, eating like a Pac-Man, this whole thing. So the question is, what will be the future with those triple nets, you know, all those CVSs and Walgreens, et cetera, et cetera, um, that have a long-term lease. What if, what if something happens to them? So how do you see the triple net market nowadays? That's a great question. And really, who knows, right? We don't know. Things are shifting. Things are shifting quickly. They're saying like, I, I was listening to someone um, speak yesterday, uh, the other day, and they were saying like, even warehouses um, is going to be less of because we're going to have more drones and things are going to be changing. And they were even talking about parking lots that, you know, soon we'll have a whole new system of cars. We won't need as many parking lots. Every, the guy claimed that everything's going to be shifting. His his point was that multifamily is the safest asset. That's the point he was trying to make, that everything eventually is going to be replaced. And like you said, like triple net um, retail may be replaced, right? We Who knows? R- really, we don't know. Pharmacies may be replaced. We are seeing that. You're right. We are seeing a lot of Walgreens being shut down. Um, but food food chains, even though things are going to be more online, food, um, you know, food anchor stores are are wanted right now. Um, people are going to retail like for entertainment purposes. Um, they're, they're converting a lot of that into rides for kids or car racing, a lot of that. I mean, that also took a hit during COVID because nobody sure. was going out. But they're, they're converting a lot of um, retail into more entertainment. Uh, you know what, it's, cool, it's cool what you just said, the conversation that you have with that person. Obviously, I agree that the most the safest ass class is multifamily. Yeah. I agree with that. Why? Because everybody needs a roof over their head. Many times not too exciting return wise, but yeah. yes, definitely the safest. And also that it depends on the deal, asset class, location, etc. So right. it depends on millions of things, but yes. Um, but having what, what this guy said about drones, I disagree with that a little bit. I'll tell you why, because the drone has to go from somewhere and you still right. need a warehouse, still need a, you know, a distribution center, to come yeah. and take the stuff and move it and to fly. Right. right. His point was that there's going to be a need for less because if it's, things are moving so fast, you won't need as many, you know, that's his, right. his point was that it's going to be less. less. Order. Right. Yeah, like yeah. As much as square footage, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. for, that, for that, we look at experts and, and actually uh, technology that is, you know, assisting yeah. in that space, et cetera. There are so many discussions about it. We have another 10 years for that. Yeah, yeah. We have another 10 years. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But it's it's true that the retail industrial are correlated. I always say the retail industrial are correlated and the office residential are correlated. And that's what I'm going to talk next to talk about next. Uh, because office showed us during COVID that a lot of people are going to start working from home. Obviously, office was... I mean, I got hit really badly on that. Yeah. But now people are going back to the office mm-hmm. and it's still in the unknown. Why? Because how many hours are going to be in the office? How many hours? Okay. What type of spaces people are going to take? Companies are going to take? What is your approach on that? And what do you see in the market in terms of demand of office? And what type of offices you see in demand and people rising, raising equity for it? 
Is there any development for office? If not, or meaning whatever you see, where do you see it? Yeah. What type of acquisitions people are going after? Uh, yeah, so office is very location specific. Uh, you know, it really has to do with how um, the density of the people in that area and how many people are actually working in that area. So what we go after, we want to see quality tenants, long-term leases, doctors, lawyers, those people need offices. We want to see those. We want to see uh, maybe, um, you know, large company credit rated tenants, uh, long leases, etc. We are seeing a lot of conversions from office. I know in certain areas, people are converting offices into multifamily. They're, um, you're seeing a lot of that. I know in, in Ohio, they're doing a lot of that. Um, so you're seeing it all. They're definitely office took a hit during COVID for sure. Uh, people are, a lot of people are working from home. It's for many, it's convenient. Like me, I'm a mother, so I need to be home um, in order to be accessible to my kids as much as possible. So for me, an office is not ideal to begin with, but a COVID helped many others uh, realize that working from home is benef- is helpful for them. Um, so it has taken a massive shift. And uh, bottom line is it's very location specific. It's a good answer. I like that answer. Interesting. I want to shift gears a little bit, Esti, and I want to talk about um, what are you teaching? You're obviously teaching people, you said, teaching investors about real estate. So first of all, who are you teaching? How are you teaching? Where are you teaching? Tell us a little bit about that. Whoever gives me a platform to teach on, I teach. Um, uh, I I teach a lot. I mean, I talk a lot because I think what I'm doing is unique. I think there aren't too many people like me in my in the space. So I'm kind of like out there showing people that my goal is to help people realize that you you know you can be a woman, you can be a mother, you can be a religious woman, and still have a job out there, and you can do both simultaneously. Like everything's possible. You can. I always tell people, whatever you put your mind to, whatever you put your your work to, it can be done. So I think that's my goal more than um, just trying to get more people in the business. I, I feel like sometimes people need that extra push and, and they see like someone can actually do it. And they're like, wow, I can do that too. I have, I speak a lot on podcasts. I was invited to speak several times and people are like, wow, I want to get into commercial real estate. Now you inspired me. Um, you know, I see what you're doing. You're a mother. It's actually possible. I can do that too. So I think that, you know, just being a role model and, you know, being helpful to others and trying to um, do my best to help people in the space and mentor as many people as possible. You know, if I, if I can give back in any way, I'm happy to. It's amazing. Um, when it comes to how you started, I'm going back to that. And it was really interesting. You said that the person who advised you to start said that you should start with residential and then go to commercial. So here's the big question. Would you, what would you recommend to a person who's a newcomer to the, to the industry, a mother just like you or someone who's coming new and doesn't know much and wants to learn the business and teaching themselves the business and they want to get eventually to commercial real estate? Would you recommend to them to start with residential just like you or to go straight to commercial? What would you tell them? Yeah, I, th- I think everyone has to evaluate what works for them. Many, many people do good in residential. Like they like to show houses that's local to them so they don't have to travel. You know, they're actually physically going to see show the houses. Some people like that. They like connecting to the clients more on a personal level. So a lot of people do well with that. 
I think everyone has to evaluate what works for them. But on this, at the same token that I'm telling people to motivate them to get involved, I also let them know that there are a lot of challenges getting involved. It's a lot of work. You have to learn a lot. You have to work really, really hard. I always tell people that like 95% of what I work on doesn't materialize. And you have to have that time to sort of waste. If that doesn't work out, you have to have the ability to, to not get upset about the time wasted and the money that didn't come from that time. You don't get paid by the hour. You only get paid if the deal closes or if, you know, if you, it actually works out or if you purchase the property. So there's a lot of time that's not, you're not getting paid for. So someone getting into the business has to know that, that you're going to put in hours and hours and hours of time that you won't get anything for. So I, I have that luxury of doing that because, you know, thank God my husband's working and I don't, he never asked me to go to work. Um, he never asked me to, you know, to, to go out and find a job. So I'm doing this out of my own. Well, it's a great point. Yes. Yeah. I'm doing this out of my own will. And I have the ability to, to waste my time. So to say, it's not a waste. I love what I'm doing, but I'm saying like, I don't get paid for a lot of things that I'm actually working on. So anyone getting in has to be very, very aware of that. Another thing I also tell people that is that if you're getting into it and you're wasting all those hours, uh, when I say wasting, I'm saying like a lot of hours end up, you know, just going to the garbage because nothing happens from it. Um, You have to love what you do because if you don't love what you do, you're going to be so resentful to all that time that you worked on something and it didn't come through. So I always tell people that if, if you love what you do, you have the ability to get up and move on and go on to the next deal. Cause if not, you just get stuck and you sink and you get upset. And, and a lot, you know, I can, I can, there were times that I just wanted to cry. Like deals just didn't go through. I spent months and months on them. So you have to know about that have the ability of time to, to use. And you also have to love what you do because if you don't love what you do, you're you're not going to survive in the business. I love that tip. That's one of the best tips that uh, someone can ever give someone. That's great. Um, How often do you need to travel by the way? Because the nationwide meaning you, you know, properties or it could be, I don't know where, meaning uh, in Denver and uh, in Baltimore and who knows where you need to travel or or you manage to do it, uh, uh, you know, from a distance through Zoom uh, or whatever. I travel. I try not to go too much because I have children. Um, I have been traveling a lot. And if I go, I just go and come straight back. Uh, people often ask me, what's the nicest place you've been to? I'm like, I don't know. The hotel was beautiful. <laughs> you know, like I don't, yeah. I don't um, go around. I don't, you know, have fun while I'm, I'm out there. Way. Yeah. I used to travel 50 domestic flights a year at the time. Well, yeah. And, uh, wow. and I, I, the same answer, where do you go? I don't know. I just yeah. get to where I need to. I come day. right back. Like I just went to <laughs> Miami in that restaurant. That, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was in Miami. I went for two days. I had back to back meetings. I didn't even manage to go to the beach. Um, so, you know, it's, it's part of it. Uh, the weather was nice. Uh, so that was great. But, um, I try not to go too much. I have bought properties that I have never seen. Um, we send down, oftentimes we'll send down people to do our due diligence for us. What do you, well, um, that's a great question. What would, who would you send? We have, we have a team of people that we send to do our due diligence. Uh, yeah. Often, you know, eventually like if local, we need to. We local need to. people, like in every place, I'm assuming, or not. Um, 
depends. Depends. Yeah. Sometimes we have our own people that fly down or go down. Um, sometimes we have to go. Uh, you know, our team had to go to Baltimore the other day. Um, I was in Miami yesterday looking at a property. We go. I had to go to Cleveland. Yeah, I travel around. Uh, I was in New Orleans. Yeah, I do get around to see properties, but oftentimes, not all the time, am I going to see the properties. Oftentimes, we send people. So it really depends on the situation. But I also travel to a lot of conferences, a lot of meetings. Um, it's all yeah. It's a people's business, and it's uh, yes, it it's is. all about making connections. Esty, where are you based? Where I'm at Rockland. Rock? Rockland County, New York. My office is in my house. The best Rockland place County, in the world. I'm sure it is. Uh-huh. I'm sure your husband is happy yeah. and the kids are happy for that. Yeah. That aspect, et cetera. But um, you know what? Before we say our goodbyes, if you could tell everyone who is listening to us, and you guys can see the links above, below, and everywhere. Esty, where can people find you? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as Esther Rises Lohenbein. I'm trying to grow my Instagram base. Um, so I'm Esty Lowenbein on Instagram. We could search Esther Rises Lowenbein too. I'm on Facebook. Right. I'm on WhatsApp. I'm all over social media. All over. And you guys can see links here. Connect with Esty. Whether you want to learn if you're a beginner or you're more than a beginner, you want to learn more or you want to invest or you want to, or you are a sponsor and you're looking for equity. You got a person who can help you find the equity. S, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Have a great no day. Problem. And you guys, I'll see you in the next show. Hey guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.